Today on Stick to Football, oh boy, do we have a big show for you. Tua Tungavailoa's decision is in. The Dallas Cowboys have a head coach. Tom Brady is a free agent. So is Drew Brees, by the way. Connor, we have a huge show today, and we had already planned to fix the Cowboys. Now we're going to fix them knowing who the head coach is, and of course, we're going to answer your guys' draft-on-draft questions. But this is one of the more loaded stick to football episodes we've had I, I feel like last week they were all like an hour and a half long but to his decision Jalen Hurts to the senior bowl there's just so much going on right now uh, but we're going to definitely start by looking back at what just happened in the NFL yeah I mean there's so much news coming in at once whether it's teams looking for their future whether it's teams playing for the now and obviously this was a gigantic weekend in the NFL with the playoffs with the opening round Some gigantic losses here, Matt. I mean, a lot of people probably picked the Saints and the Patriots to be playing in the Super Bowl, and they don't even win one playoff game. I think when you look at teams like the Titans, obviously this is really exciting for them. I'm sure Bills fans are really upset, but they have a promising future there. And I think it's good for us just to – we talk about the bad teams – all the time on this show, but we never talk about the teams that are just trying to get over the hump or the teams that are playing really well. And it's kind of a state of the union for us for where do some of these teams go? Do they start rebuilding or are they just getting things going in the right direction now? Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. Like you said, we, we do spend so much time talking about the Browns. You know, we talk about the Dolphins, the Bengals, but we don't spend a lot of time with New England, New Orleans, uh, I mean, even teams like Buffalo that's up and coming, you know, minus a, a little bit of a Josh Allen meltdown late in the fourth quarter. We might be talking about them as a completely different team right now. The Eagles just can't seem to stay healthy. So there's there's a lot going on. Uh, I, I think where we start, and I'll, I'll be transparent. We are, so we record Monday morning like always. We're waiting for Tua's decision to come in. So segment two is going to be all Tua today. So just wait, wait for that. I know if you're listening, you're like, why are they burying the lead on this? It's a, it's a timing thing. So we're going to start with the NFL. Uh, Mike McCarthy, Connor, does it move the needle for you? Because for me, it was like, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. Like, that's the best that you can do. And I'll say this. I don't know that the end of what happened in Green Bay was all Mike McCarthy's fault. I feel like Ted Thompson had grown complacent to some degree. And, and Ted is an, an older guy who's having some health problems. It's not, not like he was just lazy. So I feel like that that was just, we say it all the time, like that situation got a little stale from the front office and from the head coach. They completely cleaned house, really, when when Brian took over as the GM there. They bring in Matt LaFleur. They're a number two seed in the NFC right now. We'll see what they do this coming weekend. But it feels like a lot of people want to look at the end of, of Mike McCarthy's run at Green Bay and only point the finger at him, only blame him for the struggles that this team had I feel like that's not fair. Um, I, I know we we say it still. Like, how is Aaron Rodgers' only good receiver, Devontae Adams? How did they not invest? You know, earlier in the running back position. Like now they have Aaron Jones. They look really good. They have Jamal Williams. Looks really good. But it does feel like the front office for the longest time kind of did what New England has done right now. Where it's like we have Aaron Rodgers. We don't need to invest early picks in wide receivers or tight ends. We're going to try to build the defense and let Aaron be Aaron, and he'll go out there and make crazy plays, and we're going to win games. And I, I think when Mike McCarthy, you know, uh, again, he shares some blame in this. His clock management has never been good. But it do, I do think the front office deserves at least a share in some of the criticism for how things ended there. I think so, too. I don't think this team that Matt LaFleur inherited – 
is the same one that McCarthy lost with. I think that's something that's really important to note here. I mean, Goody went out and added a lot of free agent additions on this defense. This team was really built on their defense and their rushing attack. Now, LaFleur deserves credit for that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, But it's not like he took McCarthy's team and got however many more wins out of them. That's not what we're saying here. Now, when you start this segment, Matt, and ask me, does this hire move the needle for me? No, it doesn't. I I don't think it's a bad hire. That doesn't mean I think it's a good one. It it seems so average right now. It's like they didn't get very far away from what they already had in Jason Garrett. Now, I think Mike McCarthy is an upgrade. I want to make that clear. I think that it was time to move on from Jason Garrett. I think Mike McCarthy can be good for Dak Prescott. I think another thing that we're going to find out very soon with this is it seems like Jerry Jones wants to keep a lot of members of that offensive staff. And maybe Mike McCarthy is open to working with them, open to mentoring them. We've seen this in the past before with Dallas. Sometimes they like guys on their staff and they like mentoring them and working them up the ranks in Dallas. Maybe that's John Kitna. Maybe that's Kellen Moore. Going to be really interesting to see how young guys like that, uh, you know, grow there. I think when I look at this higher, Dallas's roster is good enough to be in the Super Bowl this year, and they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Mike McCarthy is good enough to get you there. He's shown that before. But he has to make some changes, Matt. He has to put, you know, put his money where his mouth is. We need to see a more analytically driven head coach. We need to see a guy that improves decision-making in games. We need to see a guy that grows with the league. So when I look at McCarthy... I think the year off was good for him. I want to say that because I talked to some teams, you know, that were that got to speak with him or had asked people around him that and, you know, whether they opted to interview him or not. And they felt like he was just a little burnt out of how things ended in Green Bay. The energy, the passion, the foot on the gas mentality wasn't fully there. And maybe that year off builds it back up and brings it back and brings something good to Dallas. Yeah, and I think that that is good for him. And it's it's easy to just point the finger and say it was Mike McCarthy's fault. But again, the roster that he's getting in Dallas is much better than what he had in Green Bay. There's already been rumors that he's going to bring in Mike Nolan as his defensive coordinator. Mike is right now the linebackers coach with the New Orleans Saints and, and has a phenomenal history in the NFL as a defensive coordinator. So I like that hire. I do wonder what happens to Kellen Moore. What happens to uh, Chris Richard is interviewing for jobs. If they bring in Mike Nolan, obviously uh, he could stay as the defensive passing game coordinator, but that might be unlikely if if he were able to leave and get a promotion. So I, I am very excited to see what Mike does with the staff, because I think one thing we're being sold here is that he has changed. And I don't know if I buy that when all you do is bring back the guys that you've worked with in the past. So I, I, li- I would like to see them shake things up. Now, moving on, we have three jobs that are still open. The Cleveland Browns, a job that Mike McCarthy did not want to interview for. The Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants. Now, the New York Giants will be interviewing uh, Joe Jacobs today, Monday. He's the Patriot special teams coordinator. They'll be interviewing Matt Rule tomorrow, Tuesday. It feels like this is probably Matt Rule's job if he wants it, Connor. Cleveland, whether it's Kevin Stefanski or Josh McDaniels, those are the two guys that when you talk to people around the league, they kind of feel like those are the favorites. I'll be honest with Carolina. I have not heard any rumblings about who a favorite might be, but they are interviewing, you know, all the all the people whose names you've heard, you know, whether it's Matt Rule or 
Josh McDaniels or Robert Sala. It's, it feels like the Panthers are doing their due diligence. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're a team that spoke to Mike McCarthy before the regular season had even ended, which I think was a smart move for them. If you're a new owner, you want to gauge what you're looking for. And I like that. Tepper didn't go into this and say, hey, I had Ron Rivera. It's time for me to go the complete other way. He went into this saying, I'm going to talk to a lot of different people. Now, what I will say is you bring up Matt Rule. If Carolina loves Matt Rule, while we're recording this show, Matt, because he's interviewing there today, you don't let him leave. Because if you let him leave... You make him stay the night like Jerry Jones did You Mike do McCarthy. the slumber party <laughs> special is what you do. It's amazing. You make the pizza rolls. You do whatever you got to do and keep him in the building. Uh, listen, I-, I think Matt Rule, this situation is going to be very interesting because, number one, he has to like what he hears from either of these teams. Let's not forget he turned down the Browns. He's speaking to both the Panthers and the Giants. He could just go back to Baylor, make a nice salary, win a lot of football games in the Big 12, interview for NFL jobs next year if he likes those better. What I will say is it does feel like this is the year where he's going to take one of those jobs. I know he's come out and said he expects to be back at Baylor next year. That's coach speak. Never buy into that. But I'll say this. If Carolina really wants the guy, they can't let him leave because I think the Giants, if they're smart, are going to open up the checkbook and make him their next coach. And I'll tell you, I'm talking to people in the Big 12 – this is I didn't I didn't believe this when I first had this conversation. So I was like, oh come on. There are people in the Big Twelve that wanted Matt Rule to leave more than they want Lincoln Riley to leave. Like they are very worried about what Matt Rule can build at Baylor because he's such a good coach. Like obviously Oklahoma, Texas are always gonna out recruit Baylor, but Matt Rule in the Big Twelve, at least, the belief is that he's a better coach than Tom Herman. He's a better coach than Lincoln Riley. I mean, Lincoln's great on offense, but what Matt Rule is building there as a program, there are people in the Big Twelve that are like going to breathe a huge sigh of relief if and when Matt Rule takes a job. Like you said, that might be today. I think you can look back at the college coaches who have failed and say like, ah, well, it doesn't really work. I think Matt is different because of his time spent in the NFL. And like you said, it feels like he has had his eye on that Giants job since he basically had the Jets job last year. You know, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to go home. And I think there is, even though we've seen these teams finally execute a trade. I do think, and you know this better than me, there is a rivalry there where I think Matt Rule does want to go to New York and go to the Giants to be successful and kind of, you know, bite his thumb a little bit at the New York Jets and say, you could have had this. Like, this could be me right now, but instead you have old googly eyes calling the plays. So I I think that that's an element of it. I mean, it's always great to go home again, to get back to where, you know, you had kind of your coaching start. So I... I feel like the Giants job is the one that he has eyes for, but you're right. If David Tepper wants to say, here's $8 million a year, whatever it's going to take for you to leave Baylor, it's probably not that much. Here's $7 million a year. We want you to come build a program. And you get to start with a clean slate because everyone's gone except for Marty Herney, and that feels like a temporary sure. a band-aid for the front office too. You know, They've said they're going to bring in new people. Matt Rule didn't take the Jets job because they wanted to have some control over his staff. The Panthers can offer this man a clean whiteboard and say, build the football program that you want. We'll pay for it. Here you go. Listen, if I'm the Panthers, I'm getting it done. I don't care. I'm not letting you leave. I'm not letting you go up to the New York Giants. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you there. I think, and I've had an interesting question come up about Matt Rule a couple of times over this last week. And they said, well, what, you know, what is he good at? And a lot of people like to use the word, I use this all the time, program builder, a guy that could take something from scratch yeah. and mold it into a winning team. In college football, that's that 10 win mark, something he's gotten to at Temple, something he's gotten to at Baylor. But let's get it right here, Matt. 
he's been a coach at pretty much every single position group. He's been an offensive coordinator at Temple. He's been a quarterback's coach at Temple. He's been a defensive line coach over there. He's been an assistant uh, offensive line coach with the Giants. He's been head coaches of multiple college programs and built them up. This is somebody that's coming in, and he knows where to put the pieces of the puzzle. And I think that's the most important quality to have in today's NFL. You see all these guys, like, I hate to ring the Jets example all the time, but the Jets hired a guy that he lives and dies with the quarterback. He doesn't talk to the defense. And listen, sometimes that works. A lot of people think Sean McVay is like that. Sean McVay has a relationship with the entire team. You need guys, same with Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan has a relationship with the entire team. But you need head coaches that can put their assistants in the right spots, their players in the right spots with those assistants. And I think that's what makes Matt Rule so good at his job. I mean, you can look, Matt Rule has been a head coach since 2015. He has 16 players in the NFL from Temple and Baylor. It's not like he was coaching at LSU. Now, not all those guys were drafted, but 16 players in the NFL. It tells you a lot about the respect that general managers have for what he's doing there. And and to your point, Connor, people do say that out like, well, what's what does he coach? Well, he coaches football, number one. And when you're in the NFL as a head coach, it's not like you're, you know, you're not coaching quarterbacks every day. Or you probably shouldn't be if you are. But Matt Rule has, I think his best attribute, if we're going to talk about being a hands-on position coach, it is going to be more of that offensive line, tight end, but he has experience as a quarterback's coach, as a run game coordinator. He could do a little bit of everything. With the Giants, he was an assistant O-line coach, so I think with him, it's more, like you said, he's a program builder, but he also does have experience with position groups, and to be the you know Big 12 coach of the year this past year, to turn Baylor from where Art Bryles left Baylor to where they are now, they were one and 11. Yep. They won, what, 11 games 11 this year? Games. They won 11 and 1 this year. And so I think with Matt Rule, it's just that ability to come in and look at things and say, I, I, this is what we need to do to turn this around. And I have to wonder if his guy, Robbie Anderson, who he had at Temple, if they, wherever Matt goes, I feel like you can just go ahead and slot Robbie there as a free agent. I think Carolina would be interesting. We know they have a lot of speed with Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore. I think the Giants would be interesting because, you know, they have a good gem they found in Darius Slayton. Golden Tate's there, even though he's getting a little older. I'm with you. I think that if, you know, they're very, very close to this day. Robbie uh, often has credited Matt Rule and his family for helping him a lot and get his career on track. So I think that is a very interesting small nugget to keep an eye on to see wherever he goes. Uh, One last thing and getting away from the coaching cycle, uh, which I'm very interested to follow. I'm interested to see if Josh McDaniels really does leave. And the reason I bring up Josh McDaniels is Matt, we got to talk about these new England Patriots. I think they have one of the most interesting off seasons out of any team in the national football league right now approaching us. Yeah, they do. And, you know, it starts with Tom Brady, who for the first time in his 20-year career is a free agent. The franchise tag cannot be applied to him. And watching the post game after their loss, their home loss to the Tennessee Titans, it felt like, I mean, Brady said, you know, it's unlikely I'm going to retire. And Bill Belichick said, you know, we have to have communication on all sides. Robert Kraft, in a great interview with Peter King, said, you know, they want Tom back. They want to make it work. They're hoping that he either comes back or retires. Well, Tom says he's probably not retiring. So I I think first and foremost, Robert Kraft, if it's up to him, Tom Brady will remain an New England Patriot. As long as I've had a platform to talk about football, I've been telling you guys this. There's a reason that Jimmy Garoppolo is not the quarterback of the New England Patriots right now. With Tom Brady, the the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, that's because of Robert Kraft, not Bill Belichick. So we're going to see a little bit here. 
I don't want to call it a power struggle, but we're going to see a little bit of who does call the shots here. Because if it's Bob Kraft, Brady will be back. If it's Bill Belichick, I don't know if he will be. And there are a lot of interesting destinations that we can throw out there. And I, I think first, though, is do the Patriots move on from Brady? Can they honestly move on from Brady? Jarrett Stidham is the backup. They are not going to have enough draft picks, and we'll wait to see what the penalties are for filming the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not going to have enough draft picks to go get Joe Burrow. They're not going to have enough draft picks to go get Justin Herbert. So do they like Jordan Love? Do they like Jacob Eason? Do they feel like maybe there's a chance to a false? The only Patriots are going to be drafting at number 23 overall, which is honestly the earliest I can remember their original draft pick being in the first round in the 10 years I've been doing this. So I think that that is first question. Can they even replace this guy, or do they like Jarrett Stidham enough that they can move on with him? I know our guy Mello loved Jarrett Stidham. I uh, thought Jarrett's junior year at Auburn, he looked really, really good. Then he lost basically everyone in his senior year. He struggled. He had a great senior bowl. He had a good combine. And in very, very small uh, sample sizes this year, I thought he looked okay, but that's not enough to evaluate on. Yeah, I think when you look at Stidham, I think he – you know, he's a guy you can live with as a backup. I don't think he's a guy that you're building your franchise around going forward. And I think that makes this situation more interesting for New England because there's so many variables here, Matt. If they want to bring back Brady, how much longer does Bill... And I'm not saying I, know, I feel one way or the other. I don't know. But how much longer does Bill want to keep that ship going? Do they feel they could bring back Brady on a two-year deal and get enough pieces this offseason to complement where his level of play is at because there weren't a ton of pieces around him this year. But at the end of the day, you have to be honest with yourself and say he did decline. It happens to everyone. And Brady, you can only be a, you know a superhero for so long before you need a lot of people to elevate you. And I, I think Brady realizes that. I think he's been open and honest and knows that this team needs to get a lot better. Now, the big thing here is they traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. Not a good trade. And he did nothing. Uh, not oh a good God. trade. What a great trade for the Atlanta Falcons. An awful trade for the New England Patriots. And right. when you look at what Emmanuel Sanders has done in San Francisco for what seemed like less draft capital, it makes you kind of scratch your head. So I think when you look at their future at quarterback, well, the one thing I'll tell you New England should not do, if Tom Brady moves on or New England moves on, they mutually you know, part ways. I don't think New England should panic this offseason and take – the best quarterback on the board when they pick. I don't think that's what you do. I think you sit there and you say, you know what? We're going to keep building this roster. Maybe we trade for a quarterback. There's going to be some interesting ones on the trade market this year. I'm not saying Cam Newton in New England, but I'm I'm just saying there's going to be interesting quarterbacks. Can you imagine if Brady decides to leave the market to be the next quarterback, the New England Patriots. Like if you're Teddy Bridgewater, that's the one that's you tell your agent, you do whatever it takes to get me that job. That's the interesting one to me is Teddy over there with New England. So you don't have to panic and draft someone. You can find an option while you kick that can down the road to find your future. I think the biggest variable for me is does Bill just want to coach forever? And does he, does he right. want to coach in New England forever? Right. Yeah. It, I don't know. Is, that is a on the flip side, let's just speculate. If Brady were to leave, and this is something Mello and I were talking about all weekend. If Brady were to leave, where does he even go? Because obviously if you're leaving, you want to leave for a better situation than you have now. And we can look at the teams that actually need 
quarterbacks. Okay, the Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow. They're not going to. They're not going to sign a forty-two-year-old Tom Brady. The Miami Dolphins. You want to get back with Brian Flores? They have no offensive line, so I, I think that's a concern. The Los Angeles Chargers. Go to the Chargers. Guess what? No offensive line. I mean, I can see LA working, but like that almost feels like a slap in the face. You're going to make Tom Brady go play in a soccer stadium. It's a little like, weird. I don't know if he wants to do that, right? But Carolina it's, Panthers. It's so good for the Chargers if it happens. It's good for the NFL as well if it happens because you can't sell tickets there to the home team, but. Tom Brady would allow you to do that. So I'm sure that if he's going to leave, the NFL wants him to go to the Chargers. I Personally, what I know about Brady, I can't see him pulling a Johnny Unitas and ending his career with the Chargers. You know, yeah. and, and this awful team where, and not awful team, excuse me, but this awful situation where they're in the middle of a move and like the city doesn't even really want them. And it's just, it feels so messy that... Brady would, I feel like he would almost be like, I deserve better than this. Here's I'm a, not going to end my career in a soccer stadium. Here's a wild one for you that I just want to happen. I want him to go to the Raiders. I do too. That's what I, okay, that's what I was going to say. You have a good offensive line. You have a head coach that has a lot of respect around the league. You have a, a very, very good general manager. Great like running back. You feel like the team's going to get better. You got two first round picks. You got all pro right tackle. I think it makes sense. I think the Raiders do. Now, they do have Derek Carr, so there's that part of it. But Tom Brady in Las Vegas is like what we actually need as football fans is him quarterbacking the Death Star. And it would be the biggest heel turn ever. Like, oh, the Patriots won't build a team for me? I'm going to go back to the team that started it all with the tuck rule game. So there's a little bit of poetry in that of I'm going to go back to the Raiders, to the, the most hated team in the NFL. And to stay in the AFC, to have a chance to play the Patriots again, that feels like the end of the Tom Brady movie that I want to watch. It'd be incredible. It would be so fun. And like you made a great point about the Raiders. They have draft capital to keep getting better. And I know a lot of Raiders fans, you know, they go, hey, our defense was not very good this year. You can't put it all on car. I get it. We're not we're not kicking Derek Carr to the side. We're just we're saying, how fun would it be? With John Gruden, Tom Brady, the Raiders who are ascending right now. I know this season didn't end the way they wanted it to, but once again, you have draft capital. You have some cap space. You have some young players that are continuing to get better. This is the storyline that the NFL needs. It absolutely is. So uh, we'll be tracking it to see where Tom Brady ends up. Drew Brees is also a free agent. Uh, he let it be known he wants to go back to New Orleans. Um, his regular season play, play seems like they would want him back. Last couple postseasons, I don't know. I don't know if they, they do or not. Phil Rivers, also a free agent. So a lot of teams that for years, Connor, we felt like that's a playoff team. They have Drew Brees. They have Tom Brady. They have Phillip Rivers. They're locked in. We're going to see a lot of changes at quarterback for, for many, many teams this upcoming offseason. And let's take a break. When we come back, it is Tua time. The decision has been made. Tua Tungavailoa, we'll get into it right after this. Tua Tungavailoa is in the 2020 NFL Draft will now feature one of the most popular college football players that I can remember and also, unfortunately, one of the most injured players that I can remember. And I think, Connor, we have to go back to freshman Tua coming off the bench and replacing Jalen Hurts and leading Alabama to a national championship. What we saw in his sophomore season where he really developed and became, in my opinion, the best quarterback in college football last year. With his touch, his timing, his accuracy, his ability to extend the play. And then this year, unfortunately, marred by injury with the ankle and then the hip fracture. There's a lot that we don't know about where Tua Tungavailoa will go from here. The combine checks, 
in late February are going to be huge. And the combine rechecks in early April will be even bigger. I cannot remember a player other than Jalen Smith where the medicals will be more important than the film review because the film review with Tua is special. He might be the best quarterback in this class if we didn't have to think about the ankle and the hip. But we do have to think about them, and I think they'll be a huge part of the evaluation process. Right now, I have Tua ranked as the number two quarterback in this draft class, the number seven overall player on my big board. He's a special guy. Uh, The toughness is there. The leadership's there. We've heard Coach Nick Saban talk about the intangibles that he brings to this team in the locker room, in the classroom, on the field. A special player. I'm excited that he has entered the 2020 class. My hope is that this means the doctor's appointment that he had last week was positive and that they feel like he's going to be able to get back on the field sooner rather than later. Listen, I think, number one, I did believe this was the best decision for him right now. Go get paid. Go get drafted. Stop you know, risking your body for free. It was time to do this for Tua, and I'm really excited that he's in this draft. I'm really optimistic for the future of his health. And I think, listen, Matt, I've said it many times on this show. He is the most talented quarterback in this draft. He really is. And I know people are going to sit there and, and gasp and say, how could you say that after the season Joe Burrow had? Listen, Joe Burrow is older than Tua. He, Tua didn't have the time that Joe Burrow had. And I think, of course, I have Joe Burrow ranked higher. Health is such a factor in doing it this is. entire process. But when people turn on the film and they see all the little things that Tua does, whether it's elite ball placement at all three levels of the field, it's the maneuverability and the elusiveness in the pocket. And hopefully those things still exist after this long rehab. That's another question, another piece of this puzzle. But Tua could play. And you don't have to sit here and make this an either-or between Joe Burrow or Tua. You could sit here and recognize that this draft class now has two very, very good quarterback prospects. It really does. And again, we're we're going to talk about two a lot over the next three months. And we're going to talk a lot about what we see on the field with him because we don't know about the medicals. And barring information coming out, it's unlikely that we will. And it's going to make him an intriguing case study with the draft. Now, I will say this. There's been a lot of talk back and forth between scouts and agents about what should he do? Should he go back to Alabama where they have really world-class rehab facilities? They're going to take care of Tua. That was never a concern. But I think one argument I heard was that why not go to the NFL where they are invested in getting you right not just for one year. They're invested in getting you right for five years, ten years. And so I think with Tua, it's that it had to weigh into this decision of, okay, I'm going to go probably be the number five, number six, number seven pick in the draft. And whether it's the Dolphins, uh, you probably hope it's not the Chargers, given their their history with injured players, or the Panthers. You're going to go somewhere where they're going to make sure that you're right, that you can get on the field. When Tua got hurt, we really heard there was a six-month window. And that window is basically the NFL draft, the end of April. So I think those medical rechecks, like I said, in early April will be huge. This could be a situation where, you know, like the Dallas Cowboys, they had intimate knowledge of Jalen Smith's knee injury, and the prognosis because their doctor did his surgery. They knew where he was at, and so they felt comfortable selecting him at the top around two. I don't think any way Tua falls that far in the draft. I still think, Connor, he's a top-ten pick unless there's a major change 
in terms of his what we know about his injury and when he'll be able to get on the field. Without a doubt. I mean, you said you haven't met seven. I haven't met seven. That hasn't changed since our big board show. And I'll be very transparent with this. As medical news comes in, and hopefully it becomes more and more positive, Tua will move up my board. It's as simple as that. I think same here. I, exactly. I think he yes. will be a top five player in this class. I'm optimistic in in modern health, getting him right and keeping him. Hopefully, keeping him healthy. The NFL, as we learned, and while we've learned for many years now, Matt, and we've seen it with Carson Wentz, and hopefully, he'll be okay for the long term. We saw it with Andrew Luck; he retired. It is hard to stay healthy at any position in the NFL. And I think for Tua, yes. that's going to be something that has to be taken very seriously. But I'm optimistic in him coming back. I'm excited for this. I'm excited to watch even more film. I feel like we've seen it all a million times because we've watched him play for a long time. We've been excited about him being such a promising NFL player. And I think, once again, this is just one of those things that it's great for the draft. This shakes up the entire draft. We know Joe Burrow is going one. We know Chase Young is going two. As something you always say, this draft starts at number three, and what's going right. to happen? Is somebody going to move up and trade for Tua? Is somebody going to try to jump the Dolphins? Are the Giants picking at four going to be in a spot where they can finally get more trade assets? Will Dave Gettleman ever do that? The storylines in this draft, with Tua a part of it, are officially endless. And I think that is uh, something that I've I've had been asked about a lot. Do the Redskins consider taking calls. And I will say this, I think that would be one of the dumbest things they've ever done. Can't do it. And this could be a cold take. I could be this could be on Twitter in 3 years that I said this, but you have to take Chase Young at, at number 2 overall. So the ripple effect of Tua entering, it doesn't in my opinion affect pick number 1, which will be Joe Burrow or pick number 2, which will be Chase Young. Now at 3, if I'm the Detroit Lions, you start putting it out right now that you're interested in in trading out. And I know that's early. But that does not matter to me. We saw the New York Jets trade up to number three overall in March. I think you put out right now that, hey, uh, we would be okay moving back. And you got to wait and see. You got to get through the evaluation process. Maybe you love Derek Brown or Jeff Okuda. But if you're the Lions, I think you are very interested in moving back to five, six, or seven in this draft and trying to accumulate more draft picks, especially the Dolphins. The Dolphins have three picks in round one. They set the table for this moment that they might have to trade up, much like the Eagles did, much like the Jets did when they traded up to get their franchise quarterbacks. They've been ready for this moment. So if they have to pull the trigger and, and use one of those late first-round picks, if you got to move 18 or you got to move 27 to get your you quarterback from five, you got to do it. And the, will we see someone replicate what the Jets did? Remember how unorthodox that trade was, Matt, where was. they jumped from six to three well before the draft. It, will we see someone put themselves in the driver's seat again where they sit there? The Jets knew the Giants were taking Saquon Barkley at two. Now those teams will do their investigative work to know that the Washington Redskins are ch- taking Chase Young at two where they need to get to three with the Detroit Lions to cement themselves in to taking Tua. And if you do that trade now, maybe you get a little bit of a discount instead of waiting for a bidding war on draft night. Yeah. Um, now, how the ripple effect of this is, is huge, obviously. But we've also seen a lot of decisions over the weekend as far as underclassmen. We're really waiting. Okay, okay the, the tide is coming. We're waiting for guys to declare. And the wave came. Chase Young declared. Jeff Okuda declared. Jerry Judy. Jedrick Wills. Xavier McKinney. We heard Nick Saban reference other guys who had declared. Andrew Thomas. J.K. Dobbins. DeAndre Swift. 
a lot of players that we have projected as first-rounders, we're getting to that point where we know what they're doing. There aren't many guys out there that, that we're waiting you know, for a decision. Isaiah Simmons, but Clemson's still playing. Um, CeeDee Lamb uh, has declared. So we're, we're not waiting for many big players anymore. Henry Ruggs is one that we expect an announcement very, very soon on. But Connor, it, this, this class is solidifying now. And I still stand by the fact that it's not a great draft class in terms of how many top-end players there are. But as the class fills out, the depth is starting to look really, really good. It really is because, once again, this trickle this trickle effect it has, there's going to be the, you know, the top three offensive linemen really seem penciled in. Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, everybody loves them. You know, people are going to love A.J. Epinesa. There's a, there is enough talent in the top half of this draft when you have Burrow, when you have Tua, when you have a team that might take Herbert in that top half where, you know, in those top 15, 16, we just did it for the Dallas Cowboys at 17 where they each got players that, you know, or we're going to do it for the Dallas Cowboys today at 17 where, you know, they're each going to get talented players. You don't want to give it away yet. But you look at it right now, this changes the dynamic of the draft because this is such a huge piece at the top. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and knowing, you know, I know some, some Ohio State fans got their hopes up because Chase Young said something like, I'm not thinking about the NFL draft yet. It was right before a playoff game. He, he was definitely thinking about it. He knew what he was going to do. So uh, we saw oh, Jonathan Taylor also declares for the draft. So a lot of the big names are in. One other big name has made a decision, and that is Jalen Hurts, former Alabama and Oklahoma quarterback. He has committed to play in the 2020 Senior Bowl. This is the right decision for Jalen Hurts, who through all the improvements that we saw this year, and there was a lot of it. He needs to show his ability as a thrower. I, I've always felt like he was such a tight thrower. He has this stiff, rigid motion. Getting to see him for a week in Mobile, Alabama is going to be huge for his draft stock. I think it'll answer a lot of questions of, is this a guy who, is, is he is still a day three player like everyone thought when he got to Oklahoma, or did what he did this year and the potential that he has to continue improving as a thrower, is that going to help him enough to drive him up boards and with, my, with the Senior Bowl, I, this will be my 10th one. Connor, you've been to a bunch yeah. of them. Melo's been to a bunch of them. The thing with Jalen Hurts, you're not going to get to show off your ability as a runner here. And I think in some ways that could not be a huge benefit to him. But you want to prove that you can get it done as a thrower. There's no better platform for him to answer that question. Step one of the offseason for the Dallas Cowboys was hire a head coach. They have done that. Mike McCarthy, new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But the job's not done. This is a team with 26 free agents, including the starting quarterback in Dak Prescott, starting wide receiver, Amari Cooper, and a starting defensive back in Byron Jones, not to mention a ton of other role players that are very important to this team. Now, projected salary cap space is $84 million, which sounds like a lot. Goes Until quick. remember, got to pay Dak, got to pay Amari. And then you got to plug in holes of those 26 free agents that you're losing. It's a team that uh, is not loaded with draft capital. They have six selections before compensatory selections, which probably not going to get very many high picks, at least the projections I've seen. So, Connor, with the Dallas Cowboys, you got your coach. You know what you're drafting for. Now you got to go fill these holes. But first and foremost, you have to sign Dak Prescott. You just hired Mike McCarthy, a guy who has won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. We've talked a lot about what he brings to the table. But if you don't have Dak Prescott, it really doesn't matter. The market value... On Dak, I don't know that he's going to hit $35 million a year, but he's going to be somewhere between $30 and $35 million a year would be 
but would be my guess on a five-year deal. That's about where uh, the estimations that I've seen put him at right now. Yeah, so the guy you get done is Dak Prescott. That's the one you got to get done. I know a lot of people have said, well, you you sign one of Amari or Dak, and then you franchise tag the other. And, And I understand the thinking with that. But Dak's your quarterback. He had a fantastic season. I think he's going to yep. be really good under Mike McCarthy. Some of the staff is going to stay there that has already worked really well with him. So like you said, Matt, you're keeping Dak in that range, probably around $35 million per year. And then I would put the franchise tag on Amari Cooper, which the estimated 2020 franchise tag for wide receivers is about $18.5 million. If you do the transition tag, it's a little under $16 million a year. So I think... You probably slapped the franchise tag on Amari Cooper. If you could find a deal, he's 25 years old. So if you can find a long-term deal, probably the guaranteed money runs in three to four year range for someone like that. Then you get that done. But I feel much more comfortable, you know, putting the bandaid on Amari than Dak. I think you don't let it get to that point with your quarterback. You don't risk your quarterback missing any of the off season. You want him in the building there for OTAs, mini camp, the start of training camp. The most important thing for the Cowboys is to get this one done. And of course there has to be an odd man out out of all these free agents. I think Byron Jones is that guy. I think a 27 year old defensive back is, is probably the guy because you can't pay everyone. And I, The fact that Dak came into this year as a lame duck is amazing to me. I don't know any other quarterback who would be like, you know what? I know I don't have a deal for next year, and if I get hurt, I'm in big trouble, but I'm going to go play. Yep. And I I feel like he'll be rewarded for that. I'm sure there were promises made that we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. You're not going anywhere. So I I think he's going to be okay. Like you said, someone has to go. That's probably Byron Jones. And they have a lot of young guys who are free agents. You know, Malik, Malik Collins, a free agent. Darian Thompson's a free agent. Anthony Brown's a free agent. So Jeff Heath, not a young guy, but someone who's been uh, a pretty important role player for them. Tavon Austin's a free agent. Uh, Robert Quinn, Randall Cobb, a lot of guys who. Yeah, it's a lot of holes. And I know, like, you're hearing these names, right? And you're like, who cares about Randall Cobb? But that is a, it's a roster spot, at least, that you have to fill. And I think that's where you headed to this with, okay, after we get Dak and Amari locked up, we still have other holes to fill. And this is a team that they've been very aggressive in the past with free agency, with the draft, where they're going to be aggressive about going out and trying to fill these holes. But with six selections right now, it might be tough to, and you know, we can look at the rise of Michael Gallup and say like, okay, they, they feel pretty good about where they're going at wide receiver. Um, obviously at linebacker, Sean Lee's a free agent. They're in good shape with Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch as long as uh, Leighton is healthy. But there's going to be holes that this team has to fill, Connor. We look at a mock draft. We both did one. They have six selections. They will be picking number 17 overall. I listed their biggest needs. And there are a lot of them, but I listed their biggest needs, and we'll see what happens with free agency. D-end, D-line, corner safety. You could put tight end on that list very, very easily. I do think they'll need to add another running back at some point, whether that's free agency or in the draft, just to have better depth there. But at 17 overall, we went in different directions. I went with Grant Delpit, safety from LSU, uh, and there might be some skepticism. Will he actually be available at this spot? I think he will be. We have seen safeties fall in the last four to five drafts every year. Jamal Adams was not supposed to be at six. Derwin James sure as hell wasn't supposed to be at 17. Mika Fitzpatrick fell in the draft. Safeties go later than we expect. You can rank a safety in the top five. Chances are they're not going to be drafted there. It's just not what the NFL does. They do not value that position enough. Grant Delpit's 2019 season wasn't that good. 
Maybe he was playing hurt. Maybe he was protecting himself. I think we saw times where he would turn it on, and you would get flashes of the player that he was in 2018 where he was amazing. So it's a little bit of a gamble here. And I think that's where you have to have good information, good sources to talk to LSU and say, what was up with the guy? Is he is he still a little hurt? Is he shaking the rust off? Or is he playing scared? Or did he become a diva? Like, what are the reasons for him to take a step back this year? If you get satisfied answers to that question, I think Grant Delpit is exactly what they need. Team him up with Xavier Woods. Darian Thompson, probably going to be gone to free agency. Jeff Heath, I think, has to be gone to free agency. you got a huge need of strong safety on this defense. And, and he's a guy that can make plays it's so many different levels of the football field. We've seen him play in the box. We've seen him come downhill, make tackles for a loss. He's a really good blitzer. I think he could run with tight ends very easily. He's been asked to sit back there and play, whether it's single high, cover two, do a lot of different things. We talked with Jacob Hester, who's down there and closer with that LSU team than anyone, and they said, listen, he hasn't been given the freedom to run around and make plays as much as he did when he was an underclassman. So that takes away from the box score production a little bit. I still like Grant Delpit a lot, and I love that fit with the Dallas Cowboys. Just to take a little different look at the approach here in round one, I went with Cole Komet, the tight end out of Notre Dame. I think they need a really big-bodied seam target, red zone target here for Dak Prescott. We don't know what's going to happen with Amari Cooper. They should find a way to bring him back. Michael Gallup has been great. But if you get a young, promising tight end that can, you know, you never want to compare anyone to a guy like Witten, but a guy with the play style like Witten as a pass catcher, where he's just bigger than everyone else on the field. Reliable hands, soft hands, he'll go up and win the football. Uh, I love what Komet can do at a Notre Dame, and I just think he's a seamless fit in this Dallas offense and well worthy of a top 20 overall selection. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Cole Komet is my number one tight end, and I, I feel like if you're, if you're like, there hasn't been any buzz about this guy. We talked about it on the Friday show. He declared for the draft after saying he was going back to Notre Dame to play baseball. So a lot like Kyler Murray last year where we've been told all season, don't worry about this guy. He's going to play baseball. Uh, well, then he changes his yeah, mind, and again. you have to rush a little bit to evaluate. In round two, I went to the defensive line. I feel like this is an area where Dallas has invested draft picks. Talk about Malik Collins as a free agent. He was a third-round pick. Tristan Hill was a second-round pick. But we're not seeing the production from those guys to match that position. And the coaches that banged the table for Tristan Hill might not be there anymore. So this feels like a direction where they could change. I went with Neville Gallimore, defensive lineman from Oklahoma. And I, I do think that as we expand and start talking about guys outside of the top 32, everyone's going to really fall in love with Neville Gallimore. We'll see him at the Senior Bowl. His first step quickness is really, really good for a 6'3", 320-pound guy. He can shoot through the line. I actually thought... He was the best defensive lineman in the Big 12 this past year, which I know that's a low bar, but still the best D lineman in the Big 12. He wrecked everyone that they played and has all the tools. Redshirt senior, he's been there, he's experienced, he's smart. I think he can get on the field right away instead of guys like Malik Collins or Tristan Hill where it just really felt like they were more developmental pieces that were drafted on promise. I think with Gallimore, he can get on the field for you right away. And don't forget, Michael Bennett also a free agent, so he's going to be gone too. That is undoubtedly an area where they need another piece. I think, you know, when you look at Hill, it was kind of a disappointing rookie year. There's no way around it. Flashes at times. But overall, they, they need a little bit more punch up front. Like you said, they're going to be losing a couple of players. So I, I totally get that pick. Now, you address safety in round one I did not so I need to go back down there in round two and I'm going with Ashton Davis from Cal I think somebody with range elite athleticism he's a track kind of guy he could jump through the gym good ball skills good recognition and pass coverage I think Davis is somebody you asked to play 
He can play so many different roles in the secondary. I think he can really even line up at corner, whether it's in the slot, once again, whether it's running the seam with tight ends. I think Dallas can use more cover players. Like we said, we think they're going to lose Byron Jones in free agency. And Davis is somebody that, you know, it's hard to replace a guy like Byron Jones. But with his athleticism, how late he started playing football, there's still a ceiling there for Davis to grow and be just a seamless kind of fit into this defense. You know how much I love Ashton Davis. Yeah, uh, we talk about him all the time. He's he's special. Um, I'm a little upset because uh, I want him for my 49ers at free safety, but I'll, I understand. <laughs> so you got they don't have a second round pick, so you got to take him off the board here. Round three is pick 82. I'm going to go corner here. We talked about Byron Jones uh, is a free agent, and you know honestly, like we haven't seen great play from the Dallas corners. You remember a couple years ago they drafted Awuzie and Jordan Lewis in the second and third round of the 2017 draft. Really thought both those dudes would become their starting corners and and play at a higher level than they have. If Byron Jones leaves, you have a pretty big need at corner. So that's where I'm going to go with Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State. Underclassman who declared, there were times I watched him this year and it's like, man, I, I really like his length. I like his instincts. He moves well. Other times I watched him and he just got torched. So I don't want to sell Cowboys fans the false hope that this is a late third or middle third round pick that's going to come in and play right away and he's going to be a superstar. There's some development that needs done here, but I think Dantzler shows enough flashes in round three that I would feel pretty good betting on his future. The other player I almost put here was Bryce Hall. Uh, from Virginia, but again, we've talked about him before. He didn't have great speed, and then he broke his tibia and his fibia in mid-October, so it sounds like he's not going to be ready to play anytime soon. Yeah, and you know, it's fun when we do these mock drafts, because I become guilty of this too. You try to get five to seven starters all in one swing. You and, said, yeah, that doesn't happen. This is a yeah. pro bowl. <laughs> it's an all-pro from day one. Right. Sometimes it's okay to take a developmental guy in round three, round four, and he might not see the field till the end of the year. He needs a year to develop because sometimes those guys pan out for the long haul. So round three, and I, Matt, you've said it before, I think this guy is going to climb and cement himself into the top 60, but he just has gotten no buzz right now. That's Justin Matibuque from Texas A&M. Speaking of that defensive line that we're trying to patch up this is a player that the film is really good honestly it's really good and I know Texas A&M had some stinkers this year because they play the most insane schedule in all of college football I've ever seen it's like they're playing a top five team in the country every other week but when you look (laughs) at Matt Ibuke I just think that he could do a lot of things well he really can he's disruptive he can stop the run and I don't I'm saying this now I'm putting him in round three because this is kind of where that January projection is but I think this is a player that if you want him and feel free to disagree with me Matt you'll need to use a second rounder on him when all said and done no I, I actually agree with you I have him ranked right there in in that range I, I really like him I, he was someone I was a little bit late on in the process when he declared I was like okay I've seen him play because of how many other people we've watched Texas a and play but I had to, to go back and do some work on him so I, I like his game a lot I, I think he might even go a little bit earlier than you have him uh, going here to the Cowboys yeah. at 82 round four this is where I'm going to address that edge rusher spot because they like I said Robert Quinn's a free agent they have a, a great player in Tank Lawrence but they need more of a pass rush and I think that's going to be one of the things that when Mike McCarthy gets there he's got to realize this team needs a lot on defense and so I'm going to go with Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame Notre Dame has two really good pass rushers Khalid Kareem and Julian Okwara Julian Okwara is a great athlete he's flashy he's fast he can bend but his production, like, not always that great. With Clint Cream, it's like he's the not. Opposite. <laughs> yeah, it is opposite. Like, his production's amazing, and he uses his hands, and he can play with power. But he's not going to wow you. 
His three cones not going to be great. His short shuttles probably not going to be great. But watch him put on a helmet, shoulder pads, and go after offensive tackles. And I think people will be very, very excited with what he brings to the table. And again, my theme with this outside of Cameron Dantzler, I wanted guys who could come into play right now because this is a team is trying to win a Super Bowl. And Clint Cream could come into play right now and make an impact. Uh, it, like people love comparisons. I was watching Trey Hendrickson yesterday and was like, Ooh, man, that man. is, I, I like. What he and Khalid Kareem, they're so similar in how well they can play the run. They can stack up against tackles. And Trey Henderson was someone I remember liking on film, and then he didn't have a great combine. I was like, oh, I don't know if this guy can play on the edge in the NFL. Then he, you know, go to a team where they're just going to ask him to play basically as a strong side uh, defensive end. And he's he's had a really good career so far. So I look at Khalid Kareem and say, you could be that type of guy. Yeah, Notre Dame's funny. Their situation reminds me of a couple years. You remember when Georgia had uh, both Leonard Floyd and Jordan Jenkins? And it was like, man, Leonard could be this 15-sack kind of guy, but it is not there yet. It's just not. And then you look at Jordan, and you're like, Jordan's going to be like, Seven sacks every year, very, very high, highly graded out run defender, rock solid, great teammate, leader. And that's exactly how it's gone. Jordan Jenkins just gets better each year for the Jets. And Leonard Floyd, the, the ceiling was never met. And you look at these two guys from Notre Dame, and a lot of people are going to love that film from Kareem. And they're going to sit there and say, man, he's a rock solid football player. And that's the route I went here in round four with Jabari Zuniga from Florida. Listen, do I think Zuniga is this elite athlete? And is the production always off the charts? It's really not, but I think he's a rock-solid football player. And I think for Dallas right now, you're seeing a trend with us in these middle rounds. You're, you're building depth. You're building reliability in the front seven and in the back end of the defense. You're finding ways to fill these holes that are losing in free agency. And these guys might not be always the flashiest players available in the draft, but they're the ones that get you through that home stretch, that get you deep in the playoffs when everyone else is banged up. Round five, I did what you did in round one. I went with Harrison Bryant, a tiny from FAU, and maybe not the best scheme fit for what Dallas had been doing previously, but I think his speed, and if Mike McCarthy truly took his year away from football to evaluate where offenses are going and how the you know we're seeing this innovation. I think he would like someone like a Harrison Bryant, who's 6'5", 225. He was my pick for the Mackey Award winner for the best tight end in college football. He is an excellent athlete. But he is a flex player. He's light. He's lean. He's not going to be this ass kicker that you put next to your right tackle and he George Kittles everybody in the run game. But if you are committed to motion, to getting guys in space, then I think Harrison Bryant could be a really good fit. We haven't seen that role in Mike McCarthy's offense previously. I completely admit that. But I'm hoping that we see him innovate and try to catch up with what the rest of the league's doing. You know, look at our guys like Foster Moreau, Dawson Knox, the roles that they're playing in in the NFL and the impact that they've had as rookies. I think Harrison Bryant, as a day three pick, could come in and have a pretty big impact. Yeah, not bad when you have a Mackey Award on the resume as well. Listen, that alone should get you drafted. Round five, for me, I went with somebody that, I'm going to be honest with you, still surprised he declared. I guess things were... You know, that disarray during his time at Florida State. But Sanford Samuels, the cornerback from Florida State, this is a a long, lean kind of corner, a former top recruit. Some had him as a four-star, some had him as a five-star. So we're talking very, very high-end ability. And I think with Stanford Samuels, he's somebody where, you know, you went – with this option in round three and Cameron Dantzler. You're getting a developmental corner. You like the traits. 
you like what they are. It's that ball of clay that you feel like you can mold. But you don't think they're going to take the field from day one next year. I think a lot of teams are going to look at Samuels like that and say, listen, this guy left early. He was not in a good situation in college. The film is probably a little bit up and down, but we believe that we can get the most out of him. And the reason this guy was a high-profile recruit at the time. So I think for Dallas, once again, here, here's more of a, you know, a depth developmental kind of pick in round five with Samuels. Yeah, Samuels is an enigma. For me, he could go to a, a team that's like, you are 6'2", 185 pounds, you're going to play in cover two, and we're going to take advantage of your size. He goes somewhere where it's like, you're going to have to use your instincts and technique. He's going to struggle a little bit. Oh, so I think the scheme's going to matter with him. My last pick in this draft, they don't have a round six pick, so round seven. I'm going to give them Tyler Johnson. And I know there's been a lot of conversation on Twitter about the fact that I'm very low on Tyler Johnson. I have put my money where my mouth is. I bet if Literally. I uh, not bet, I told a Minnesota fan that if he's a first round pick, I'll donate $1,000 to the charity of your choice. If he's a day two pick, I'll donate $500 to the charity of your choice. If he's a day three pick, I just get to be right. And I'm okay with that. That's worth it to me. Tyler Johnson is an intriguing player. Uh, he really is. He is tough. He makes contested catches. He's been wildly productive over the last two years. I do not think that he is fast enough to separate from NFL defenses. Uh, there have been concerns told to me by a number of area scouts about work ethic, about coachability, and this is a player who was not invited to the Senior Bowl, which will usually tell you a lot. I mean, they're taking 10 receivers to the Senior Bowl, and you're not in that list. So, Add in all the underclassmen, we're seeing the receiver position, and then 10 senior wide receivers, and you stack below those guys in this class for the most part. So where are you going to get drafted? I love that Tyler Johnson has fans, but I believe that he will be a late pick. And for Dallas, that could be a home run. If he can get, if he can prove that his route running is good enough to separate, then he does some very nice things with contested catches. But, you know, like like many players before him, if you can't run in the NFL wide receiver, you got to be pretty damn good at something else and for me with Tyler Johnson I'm just not sure what that is yeah uh, listen sign me up for Tyler Johnson in round seven I I like that and like you said Matt you know it's unfair there's been a lot of back and forth on this and I think there are fans in Minnesota that want to support their player there are fans or analysts of college football that love what he's done on the field and I think is it fun on this podcast that we get to do those things we get to be fans and we get to cover college football of course but in your lens in January, your lens is how are NFL teams going to value this guy? And yep. I think that's very important to note here with Tyler Johnson that, listen, if you're saying he's going day three, he's probably going day three. And I think the senior bowl thing is very interesting as well. You know, that's something we'll have to talk to Jim Nagy about. He's very open about invites and non-invites, and it's something we'll keep an eye on. But I think, you know, in round seven – Sure, why not? And for me, round seven, I went with the sure, why not wide receiver in a little bit of a different mold because this guy can run. He ran a 4.38 in high school. It's just the problems are everywhere else. Jeff Thomas out of Miami, you know, doesn't play in the bowl game, declares early, an array of off-the-field kind of issues. Really, reliability is the big one with this guy. Now, the Dallas Cowboys... They're a team that's not afraid to take a guy like this on day three, I think. And Thomas, once again, he's a great athlete. We've seen flashes of brilliance from him at times in college. I know he can play football. Uh, this feels a little similar to Antonio Callaway to me, where he's probably yes. he's probably going yes, to have his own pro day or Miami pro day if that happens. 
and they're going to time him in the four threes. I mean, that's brilliant stuff. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to show he can play specials. He can do a lot of different things. But that character situation is is rough around the edges and is going to drop is. him to the point where he could not get, he could possibly go undrafted. Honestly, I agree. I, I agree. And you watch him play, and you're like, man, this guy can he could play a little bit. But then you talk to teams a lot, like with a, a Tyler Johnson, and you'll get you'll talk to 16 teams, and they'll say we have an undrafted on him. It does only take one. Something we say all the time. All right, Dallas Cowboys are fixed. We went heavy on defense and then added some pass catchers. I would have liked to have had about three more picks. <laughs> to yeah, pick some too. of the other spots on here, but that, that's what you got to do. That's why you have $84 million in cap space to figure it out. All right, that is our show. Congrats to Tua on a hell of a career. Can't wait to dive in more in this draft process, see where he ends up. Connor, the Wednesday show, we're going to break it down with a mock draft, so no mock draft Monday. Uh, you're going to mock draft Wednesday, which doesn't – no alliteration. But it still sounds fun. Just got to wait a little yeah. longer. That's yeah. it. The, the juice will be worth the squeeze. We promise. Mock draft <laughs> Wednesday Gettleman coming out. Dave quote right there. Exactly. Love it when I can quote Dave Gettleman. Me and my computer folks getting it done. Uh, and then Mello will be back with us Friday mornings. Thank you all for hanging out. A long show today. But we think it was worth it. We'll talk to you all real soon. 